Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches this is a headgum podcast. Hey, baby nation! Uh, forewarning: this is a fun episode that talks about a lot about sewing, but there is also a reference about forty minutes into the show to the elder gods uh, uh-huh. that could endanger your life and the planet and everything that you've ever known and flay your mind. Right. Uh, and if you're in a room with corners, get out. Uh, vacate immediately. Yep. All right. Yeah. Now, now, welcome to the show. In 86, N.M. Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club Check one, two. Check one, two. My name is Tanner. I'm recording with my good friend Jack today. I think Jack's parents are in town. That's accurate. In my town. In Austin town. I'm in New York. My dog's right here. My wife is at work. Woo! Did some work today. Mm-hmm. Uh, went and got a physical. Oh, yeah. How's it going? Fine. Had an EKG. Everything's in order. Heart's looking good. Apparently, I have high blood pressure because I'm fat, but the doctor says I just need to diet and exercise, and that'll come down. Okay. Uh, he complimented me on my uh, impressive dong. Oh, really? Yeah. He said, never seen a dong like that one before. <laughs> Are you sure that was a compliment? Yeah. And not just an exclamation of surprise? <laughs> how, how did it sound? Did it sound like, whoa, never seen a dong like that one before? Was it more like, it was uh, like oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you take it the way you want to. One, two, three notes. Three notes, huh? You don't have an interest in sewing? I have moderate interest in sewing. You know who is pretty interested in sewing? Ann Matthews Martin. Yeah? Yeah. Was it in the happy reading? Yeah, it was in the happy reading section. So Nola Thacker wrote this book? Right. The great Nola Thacker? I've enjoyed Nola Thacker texts yeah. in the past. Nola and Pete are emerging front runners at the moment. Um, but so Anne, in her happy reading section, says the following. In Maid Marianne, Marianne learns about sewing and needlework from Mrs. Town. I was very excited to finally be able to write a book about my passions, sewing and needlework. In fact, sewing has become so important to me that recently I declared Mondays to be sewing days instead of writing days. Happy reading! So... Two things are going on there. One, she fucking made Nola Thacker write a book about her own passion. Yeah. And second of all, she made her do it like on Mondays, (laughs) 
when <laughs> Anne was just sitting back at home doing her own sewing and like yeah. calling up Nola in the middle of the day to be like, how's that sewing book coming along, Nola? <laughs> <laughs> I've got more sewing notes for you here. <laughs> Can you incorporate a d- double backstitch into the, the work, please? <laughs> it's a new technique I picked up. Uh, that makes sense. This book was all um, like a sewing circle jerk. Like it was just non-stop technical language about sewing. Yeah, real sewing circle jerk here, Tanner. Real sewing circle jerk. A lot yeah. of sewing. A lot of technical sewing language. A lot of technical sewing language. I learned about all sorts of new stitches. <laughs> Basic running stitch. Embroidery <laughs> stitch. Uh-huh. Chain stitch. Fence stitch. That's a lot of fucking stitches, man. Basting stitch. French knots. A lot of French knots. I have another theory about why this book is the way that it is. What is that? That the scholastic lawyers were like, these babysitters club books are really fucking great and they're kicking ass, but there's this huge target demo that we're not reaching, which is the over 80 crowd. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted to do like a book that these young girls could like bring to Nana's house. Yeah. This book is like porn for old people. Yeah. It's like, what if there was a world in which young girls all of a sudden were like interested in taking sewing classes and particularly activated by helping around the house uh, and like to bring young children over uh, and make <laughs> you visits? tea? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, old, how old do you think Anne was at this point? I think Anne is fairly timeless, but this one is uh, probably 92, 93. Oh, here's another thing I think was happening in the early 90s. I think everybody was obsessed with quilting. Uh, my mom was definitely obsessed with quilting in the 90s. Yeah. When was the AIDS quilt? Probably in the early 90s. Just like the fact of that, that the whole world got together and they're like, the way that we can solve this epidemic is let's make a giant quilt. I feel like that's just not an approach to problem solving that you would see outside of that particular era of time. So maybe quilting was just big. It was in the air. It was like grunge. It was 1987. The main showing was in the Washington Mall in 1987. So by this point, quilt fever had swept across America. Okay, so it's like post-grunge. Like, everyone's still into it. It's like the Japan droids. Oh, man. No, it's like it's like Nickelback. It's like Puddle of Mud. Oh, that's post-grunge? Yeah. Well, can I make a case for Japan droids being post-grunge? Absolutely not. Because it's very noisy. <laughs> I think you're just making a case for you being old. It's a standard rock and roll. <laughs> oh, you know what we haven't done yet, Tanner? What? We talked about quilts. Yep. Uh, talked about sewing. Did we do... Um, Fence stitch, chain stitch. Did we do weaving? I don't think there was a lot of weaving in this there's book. A, there's a fair amount of weaving. Oh, no, we haven't hmm. uh, We haven't introduced the podcast. Hi, hi, my name is Tanner. Um, hi, uh, Hello, hey, it's me, Jack. Let's get down to brass tacks now. Yeah, let's now let's do the let's do the thing. Uh, Claudia's uh, Claudia's got her clothes on. <laughs> Way you talk, you'd think boys have been invented just now. <laughs> Look, how about let's do it right? Okay, fine. Hi, 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 and welcome to the Babysitters Club. Club, club. a podcast in which I, Jack Shepard, and I, Tanner Greenring, talk about the classic novels of Princeton's own Princess Annabelle. Matthews Martin. Stormborn, Stormwalker, Soul Skinner, Sanctified, 
bane of bats, first of her name, last of her kind, and last hope for humankind. Hailing from the Prince of Towns. <laughs> the Princess of the Prince of Towns, weighing in at Annabelle Matthews <laughs> Martin. <laughs> that was good. And Anna, you allowed me to avoid saying what she's weighing in at, just in the off chance that she's listening and <laughs> we lose her forever. <laughs> A slim, trim, and beautiful, uh, I don't know, between 70 and 190 pounds. <laughs> the timeless being known as Annabelle Matthews Martin. She can redistribute her mass and gain up to 70 pounds at will. <laughs> Um, yeah, we talk about her novels. Uh, this week we talked about a novel, uh, primarily sewing based, called Maid Mary Ann. Maid Mary Ann. This book, the A plot, mm-hmm. was about sewing. Yeah. Uh, this book, the B plot, was about sewing. Mm, that's good stuff. Don't give away all your material for when you have to do the <laughs> 60 second description. Baby Nation, it was all sewing. <laughs> It was all sewing. I feel like that's as good a segue as we're going to get to us describing this book. You into it, buddy? I feel like I just did. It's all sewing and some housework. A little bit of housework. I thought it was going to be a lot more housework than there actually was. Right. It took until like, I would say more than halfway through the book before Marianne even started doing chores. Yeah, I think that's the case. Though the cover does promise a lot more chores than it does sewing. Are you looking at the cover? Uh, I'm, I'm. I just now realized that I never did look at the cover, so oh. I went to go take a, a glance. Okay. Well, I want to talk to you since we're on the topic of the cover. I want to talk to you about something that I think we've talked about before. It's a very specific thing, and I'm not sure if it's. I think it may be Nola Thacker who does this. It is a very specific technique that is specific to these books, called Hodges baiting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 New baby bees uh, who may not know Hodges Swallow is the art director of the Babysitter's Club series of novels uh, by Anne Matthews Martin, Soul Skinner. Um, And Hodges uh, paints all the covers on the front of the books. Uh, And sometimes he likes to include little messages. Uh, And sometimes some of the the authors, I think in particular Nola Thacker, try to, to send him little signals. Let me read you the passage here, Tanner, while you look at the beautiful cover. Uh, Marianne's looking fly. She's got like these really rad like sneakerhead sneakers on. Yeah, she's looking- like Air Jordans. She's got jorts on. That's that speaks to your interests. I noticed you was wearing jorts, and I like that a lot. And they look like they're fresh cut too by by Marianne herself. They've got yeah. those little frayed edges. I don't think she bought those at Zingy's. No. She cut those herself. Let me read you the passage, Tanner, that Nola wrote as like a wink to Hodges. When I reached Mrs. Town's house the next day, I decided that what her kitchen floor needed was a good mopping. I filled the bucket, picked up the mop, turned, and somehow managed to knock the bottle of Murphy's oil soap over. I made a grab for it, snagged it, stepped in the bucket of water I'd filled, and turned the whole thing over. I gave my foot a shake. The bucket stuck to it. Marianne, said Dawn from the front door. Can we come in? It's me and the Arnolds. Uh, sure. Come on back. I gave my foot another shake, and the bucket came off and clattered across the floor. My feet were soaked, and I was standing in the gloppy pool of soap and water. Carolyn and Marilyn appeared at the door, took one look at the puddle of water, and shrieked. Two seconds later, the twins were sliding in the water on the floor as if it were a skating rink. And that's what Hodges has captured here. We've got a tired-looking Marianne slumped over a mop. We've got Marilyn and Carolyn stomping around in suds behind her. 
It's very specifically a vignette that is, compared with the rest of the book, too well described. Um, I kind of have a theory that some of these co-authors, maybe with the help of the scholastic lawyers, are doing this to keep Hodges on message. That's a good thought. They don't want... Because when he goes off message, he paints like crazy cryptic symbols and messages right. into his covers that have nothing to do with the book. It would have been so easy for Hodges to paint a scene where Marianne and her sewing class are all sewing patterns into fabric or like oh my God. Uh, doing a quilt, and he could have put so many messages in that quilt or in those stitches. Yeah, in this one, it was probably particularly important. I imagine like the first draft that he sent when he just looked at the galley copies of the book was like a great tapestry, and in the background, the great old ones were lurking, like Cthulhu right. is coming down from the stars with his vast tentacles reaching for all of the babies as they look on in horror at the majesty and the terror that is Cthulhu. Right. And and. And the Scholastic Lawyers and Nola were just like, uh... Can we see another uh, version of this? And he sends one back, and it's just the world being consumed by flame. <laughs> He's like, is this better? <laughs> and, like, Marianne's eyes are bleeding. Yeah, that's good. It looks like a Hieronymus Bosch painting. Like, little, like, yeah. people who have, like, eggs for bodies and are consuming, like, small dogs with, like, a vacant expression on their faces. <laughs> Nola's like, I, I wrote this passage just for you. How about you try this one? Marianne stepped in a bucket. Another reason this may have been so well fleshed out and not letting the scholastic lawyers off the hook yeah. is it was product placement. Okay. <laughs> for Murphy's for oil Murphy's soap. soap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good for it cleaning those wood floors. It is one of the most like, robust little passages in the entire book. <laughs> it's just all about how great this soap is. <laughs> um. Well, good job, Hodges. Good job, Nola. You guys really collaborated on a pretty good scene there. Uh, I hope Murphy's gave you a lot of money. I hope you made a healthy buck on that. Yeah. <laughs> Nola. Um, hey, how about we describe this novel? Fine. I already did. That's say so. All right. Well, d- save that up, man, because you're going to have to do it in 60 seconds. But first, I'm going to describe the book. You ready for that? Oh, yep. Tanner's, Tanner's giving me the, the classic signal that he's ready for me to describe the book. A, a big lengthy yawn <laughs> it's these little touches tanner i did it right i came up into <laughs> view of the screen here yeah of the camera just just so you could really see it um good it's it's these little flashes of inspiration that i get from you that really inspire me uh to be better and to do better oh there it goes again he's yawning again how about i describe the book all right fine man all right cool you go nuts i want you to lock eyes with me And stay looking at me. Are you ready? Yes. I'm going to begin now. Two women. One in early adolescence, the other in the twilight of her life, are connected across the vast loom of generations by their shared love of weaving. As the delicate strands of Marianne Spears' existence become intertwined with the careworn threads of Mrs. Towns, this unlikely pair begin to sew a beautiful tapestry together that proves in both its colorful vitality and its deep and ancient meaning that there is a sweet and secret rhythm in the shuttle of the loom of time that nourishes all those who know how to find the pattern, wherever they may be in the warp and the weft of their lives. For readers who enjoy sewing, made Marianne. 
That was, I did a lot of, uh, oh, he, I just lost. I think I just lost him. He's playing. I did a lot of sewing metaphor. Tanner, I'm back. You can come back. You can start did paying you, attention. No, I was, I was listening for most of it, and then you said something that reminded me of something. Okay. Good. Um, have you ever played the 1990 fantasy-themed graphic adventure game by Lucasfilm Games, Loom? No, but is it the sequel to Myst? No, that's Riven, idiot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that dumb to think that Loom is the sequel to Mist. It's very dumb. Okay. Because Loom, in Loom, you're on a kind of fantasy-inspired planet mm-hmm. uh, where you belong to a tribe of cloaked figures who have a magical loom that shapes reality, depending on what you sew into the Great Tapestry. Oh, wow. And a dark force comes and destroys the Great Loom and kills your entire tribe. And you, the sole survivor, need to journey across the lands and seek out this dark force. And you think that has resonance with this text? I think so. Because you play notes which resonate with the strings on the loom to employ magic. Okay. And you can shape reality. In one segment, you need to drive a dragon out of his cave and you take the bed of gold he is laying on, Mm -hmm. and you play a song to turn it into straw, and he lights it on fire with his fire breath. Okay. And flees his cave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't catch any of that in this text, which is the text that we're discussing here. Unless you see this mysterious Mrs. Town character as more than meets the eye. Yeah, I think that this book is a direct sequel to the 1990 hit graphic adventure game loom are you sure you don't mean riven no it's loom i can describe the plot of riven to you no i like. definitely don't want that here's what i'd like for you to do though while we're on i the think topic that of- mrs town might be the main character of loom having grown up to become uh, an adult good well how about you describe this fucking book and then we can talk more about it uh, okay yeah 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 okay here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna put 60 seconds on this big bad clock uh and then i'm gonna have you describe this book during those 60 seconds how do you like that very good all right i'm gonna start right now start now Uh, Lady Cigna Threadbare is introduced as a bereaved mother who begs the elders of the Guild of Weavers to use the power of the loom to end the suffering of the weavers. Their numbers are falling and their seed is barren. The elders, Atropos, Clothos, and Lechesis, who are named after Greek mythology's three fates, reprimand Cigna, telling her that there is no place to play gods. Good. Uh, Great. Good. can I stop you? That's that's the that's the prologue. Let me get into the plot here. Uh, you, you can come in if you'd like. You're going to be on the podcast. Come on in. Come in. No, come in. I'd like you to come in. Ah, uh, baby nation. You've come in at a very good time. Tanner's bothering me. Come and say hello to Tanner. Hello, Tanner. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Mother, can you please tell Tanner when he is asked to describe a babysitter's club book that yes. what he should do yes. is describe the bloody book and not something else? Yes, I think that probably trying to stick to the actual point or title of your subject would be good. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're very welcome. <laughs> Did you, you hear that one, Tanner? Did you get that one? Did you catch that one? Yeah. Did that, did that message sink in? Yeah. Yeah? All right, you want to start again? I don't like it when you sick your mom on me. <laughs> I like it. It came at just the right time. We... <laughs> I'm going to give you 60 seconds from the top, and you're going to tell us what happened in this this book, Tanner. Sir, you ready? Yes. All right, I'd like you to begin now. 
Oh, Baby Nation, it's so boring. It's just sewing. <laughs> Marianne meets a lady who knows how to sew, and she wants to learn how to sew, and then Marianne starts teaching a bunch of kids how to sew. Still got 50 seconds. Uh, Bo- Bobby and the other one, they decide they don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> the Mrs. Town is the lady... Uh, she breaks her ankle and she starts insisting that Marianne has to do a bunch of chores. But uh, uh, Marianne ends up getting taken advantage of. Yeah, and Bobby and and Nick at night don't like it. What's his name? Buddy. Buddy, Buddy and, and Nicky. Buddy and Nicky. All right. They decide it's too girly because some kid starts making fun of them. Yeah, that's kind of the B plot. Um, oh, it's such a snooze. <laughs> you know what's a? You know what's not a snooze? What? What? Use your words. On his birthday. Bobbin is summoned by the elders Mm-mm. in order to determine his fate. He arrives at the sanctuary in time to witness the elders punish Hetchel with his transcendence draft for educating Bobbin. But Hetchel reverts to a swan's egg, which <laughs> puzzles and frightens the elders. I that think sound like a good-ass game? Would this book have done a better job of holding your attention if Nola had just given, like, funny middle earth names to all the characters <laughs> yes she did give a middle earth name to one character and it still didn't hold my attention yeah fred of the hamster makes a brief appearance all right look how about we talk about the catchphrases did you catch the, the new catchphrases it's what yeah it's one of my three nuts <laughs> we got a couple good catchphrases you have a couple i only caught one let me start with the one that i think you didn't catch okay christy is talking Mrs. Papadakis is on the phone, she announced. She needs someone from Friday afternoon from 2 until 6. I studied the record book and then said, It's pretty open. Claudia or Jesse or Mal? Jesse said, Count me out. Mal and I are vidding out on Friday. (laughs) Vidding out? asked Stacy. As in videos? Yep, Mal grinned. Horso-rama. I guess they're watching videos about horses. But, well, you're out of luck, bud, because that is the one I did capture. Wait, really? <laughs> Vitting out, yeah. It's like Lawnmower Man. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like a, a Clockwork Orange. Me and the geezers went down to the milk bar and vitted out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like getting high on some kind of like video-induced drug. Yeah, vitting out. That's good. It feels good. It's a good. That's a good catchphrase. I think we can use that. Yeah, if we ever like do a video episode. Oh, man. If we ever do... Baby Nation, if we ever do a video episode, Tanner's really going to come into his own. Because uh, honestly, I would say 50 to 60% of what he does on this podcast is entirely visual. It's very entertaining right. for me. Mostly prop work. Yeah, a lot of prop work, a lot of prat falls. Yeah, um, big faces, <laughs> big big funny faces. The, the costume really, like, he's wearing right now is hilarious. Chew up the scenery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it just does not translate on audio. Um, no, and you're really missing out on this entire experience. <laughs> Um, so the one that you didn't, the catchphrase you didn't catch that is definitely 100% the scholastic lawyers forcing this in because it occurs a thousand times is decent. Oh yeah. I saw decent and I couldn't, it's one of those things where it's like, I didn't know if that was something that Anne had made up or if that was something that people actually said in 1993. Decent does sound like something people might have said, but the proliferation of usage of that term in this book all of a sudden is very noticeable. Stacy says it a ton of times. Marianne says it twice. Uh, And then Logan. Logan says it. Marianne, 
Are you trying to tell me something? said Logan. Only that I'm really, really busy, Logan. I sighed. How had life gotten so complicated? Listen, what about Friday? We'll spend the whole day together. We'll go on a picnic. Take a bike ride. Decent, said Logan. In a way that Dibley and Distin didn't feel significant, it just felt like Anne having fun on the page. Yeah. Decent feels significant, especially because it, it was mentioned so frequently in this book. Do you think maybe it just means, it actually just means it in the old sense of like morally decent? And Nola right. Thacker yeah, is trying to like impose Victorian moral values on these. Maybe it's subliminal. Yeah, this is all subliminal. This is like programming for young girls. Yeah. Like, all of their idols are telling them to be decent. Yeah. And, like, Marianne goes on this whole thing about being nice and being polite. Nola and Anne are telling the young girls of America in 1992 to, like, respect their elders. Yeah. Get into sewing. To get into to laundry and housework. Yeah. Like, make tea for old ladies. Right. Help around the house. Um, God, it's programming. And it has all of this stuff early on against the idea of solipsism as a f- philosophical worldview. Tanner's making one of those faces again. It's 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 great. It's fucking great. If if you're watching, I bet this is so deeply embedded in uh, the readers of Babysitters Club that if we went up to any of our listeners, yeah, I bet when you just said it, I bet when you said decent. Mm-hmm. Something like triggered in their brain and they just like impulsively like, <laughs> put a pot of tea on or like examining the stitches on their shirt. Suddenly ran around the neighborhood looking for an old lady to help get boxes down from the attic. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. So it's like, um, what's that movie where uh, you, you like say a word and the, a person suddenly assassinates the president? Sure. It's called Manchurian Candidate. It's like a Manchurian Candidate. Or not to, bring, not to always bring it back to Bioshock, but oh, essentially the plot of the first. You know Bioshock what? Let's n- let's not always. You know, let's not bring it back to Bioshock. Just saying, I think maybe Bioshock was heavily influenced by these books. I th- I think that the Manchurian Candidate was a much better angle here. Okay, let's think about which is more relatable: <laughs> a movie no one saw from like nineteen fuck all, <laughs> or. Literally one of the most popular video games of all time. Well, one of those things I've seen, and the other one I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) And also, they did a remake of The Manchurian Candidate in, like, 1999. Did they really? Yeah, I think so. I don't think it was a big hit. I don't know. I don't know. Don't look it up. I'm not going to. Uh, It's like, you have my fucking phone. I can't look things up as easily. Oh, that's so good. I am on your phone. What What an interesting metaphor. Have we talked about that? That, like, the phone that you reach for to distract yourself from me has me on it now. I know, it's brutal. And while I have you, let's just talk briefly about solipsism because it plays into this. Oh, my God. You're not going to drop the solipsism thing until I talk to you about it, are you? (laughs) It's literally related to what we were talking about. Here's how the book starts off. Uh, Marianne. I've been feeling the opposite of thoughtful and considerate lately. Too self-involved maybe even self-centered. It had started just before school ended on Friday with something Dawn had said. I've been worrying and worrying about a speech I had to give for English, and when I asked Dawn for about the thousandth time what she thought people would think, she said, Hey, Marianne, don't worry. They're not thinking only of you. Everyone's got all kinds of things going on in their lives. If you think of something besides yourself, it'll make it a lot easier. It's putting up this notion of a solipsistic worldview 
as something to be combated. Um, is solipsism the Truman Show? No, solipsism is usually introduced in philosophy as a way of bringing up the problem of other minds. But it's specific. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the that, belief like, everyone everyone is living full lives and everyone is has their own thoughts and ideas and hopes and passions and dreams. Right, and the solipsistic worldview is one wherein you are literally the only thing that exists and everyone else is a figment of your imagination, which is essentially how Marianne starts this fucking book out. Right. I only exist when you are looking at me. Wait, is that true? When you're not here, I go away. Yes. And when you are here, you breathe me to life. I fucking knew it. Yeah, and that's true for everyone, too. How else do you think you would get a hit podcast? You, Jack Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> it's all in your head, man. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> You're making it all up. Um, you invented this reality for yourself. I like the idea that the reality that I have invented for myself is one in which I have a moderately successful podcast. <laughs> <laughs> With a co-host who barely pays attention to me. <laughs> I pay attention as much as you want me to pay attention, man. <laughs> Oh, um, but that's what's solipsism. But that's it. That's what's going on in Marianne's mind. And I think that that plays into this idea of this Manchurian candidate decent thing where it's like it's reminding people of basic decency and basic moral values as a way of getting out of their heads, getting out of their solipsistic self-involved worldview. Um, And unfortunately, playing into the patriarchal paradigms of like parochial Stony Brook existence um which is which is not which is no fucking way to live as far as i'm concerned you don't want to live in stony brook it's it's perfect i guess it's perfect in every way and you know what else is fucking perfect elvira's back in this goddamn book (laughs) (laughs) that was a nice touch by by nola i hope elvira makes an appearance in every book yeah i hope she becomes a babysitter i don't have a hope she becomes a babysitter when dawn leaves oh my god which they, f- like, fuck you, Anne. Anne, Nola, guys, holy shit, that's something, that's buried the lead there. Uh, like, Dawn appears in this book f- maybe five times, and every time she appears, she walks into a room, and Marianne's like, hey, Dawn, what's going on? And Dawn's like, I miss California, and then just, like, walks right. out of the room. And it's like, all right, I fucking right. get it, Anne. It's, like, slightly rainy, and, like, Marianne, like, walks into Dawn's room, and she's like, oh, man, it's really raining out. And Dawn's just like, <gasps> <laughs> it's not raining in California. Yeah. yeah, Christy looks out the window, and it's just like, oh, man, it's a regular street. No one's surfing on it. <laughs> Dawn is like, oh, Jesus. You know where they're surfing? <laughs> California. Yeah, we fucking get it. But that is such a good idea. Dawn is going to leave, and we know how Anne works. It's one in, one out. Dawn's going to leave. Elvira the fucking goat is going to be the new babysitter. She's good with babies. Kids love her. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be so good. It's very good. Uh, Dawn can't leave, right? The next book is called Dawn's Big Move. Maybe she's making career moves. Maybe she's going to take on more responsibilities and go up in the babysitter's club organization from CAO to like... uh, uh, I don't know, VP position. Oh, maybe she's getting pushed down. She'll be on the fucking board of directors. Oh, you think so? That's how that works normally. They bring in Elvira to like shake things up and be the fucking chief alternate officer. 
And Dawn gets like this sinecure position where she sits on the board. These books won't be the same without her. Oh, man, they're going to be pretty tough to get through without her. And now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Um, a dilly dilly, my lord. <laughs> oh, hey, it's Evil Jack here. I was just workshopping some of the most evil ways to start an ad spot. Evil Tanner couldn't make it today because he's busy trying to break his previous record for how many people he can tell that they should smile more in a 24-hour period. I just wanted to give you an update on our uh, evil company, BetterHelp, uh, where we help evil betters to um, make small, lucrative bets on extremely wicked outcomes. Uh, Like, for instance, I bet that I can accidentally put my own bag on the weighing area of your self-checkout at the grocery store so you have to call someone over to make the machine work again. Well, basically, since you asked, it's going uh, pretty badly um, because apparently the name of our company sounds too much like the name of our sponsor, BetterHelp. See, it's pronounced completely differently. They're online therapy that will uh, pair you with a licensed therapist in no time at all. Um, And in addition to not even really sounding the same as our evil company, BetterHelp is easy to use, it's entirely online, and they are super flexible, so it's no problem to fit them into your own schedule, which is completely the opposite of how we do it. Anyway, everyone's saying that we shouldn't use the name, which causes me grief, anxiety, self-esteem, and LGBT matters. And to make matters worse, um, I can't even get therapy for this stuff because I don't believe that men need therapy because I'm evil. If you're ready uh, to give online therapy a try, though, all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com Bedfellows today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bedfellows. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. The other signal that something big is happening is this brief moment that I caught early on with Marilyn and Carolyn. Marilyn startles Marianne. She says, listen. We stopped and listened. I heard the sound of a lawnmower, the faint mooing of a cow, the wind in the trees, and the usual birdsong noises. What is it? I asked Marilyn. It's a cardinal, she said. 
We know this from past Babysitter's Club books, that these cardinal moments are moments trapped in time, moments of significance that exist across the many universes that the sitters inhabit. Do you think this is one of those flashes? I think it's one of those flashes. It's one of those important moments like the Halloween hop. Right. That's like a signpost. It's a waypoint where you can't go back once something has happened. And something in this book has happened. Like, Dom was fucking fine up until this book. Something specific has happened that means there's no turning back now. Uh, a moment later, they hear another uh, bird song. A quail, said Carolyn, writing in her book, also known as a bobwhite for its song. Uh, I looked it up. Bobwhite is not uh, a type of bread. <laughs> oh, wow. I suspected it might be, but it's it's not. It's I, the, the quail song sounds like Bob White. Yeah. Bob White. Uh, that's, it's almost like we're both contributing to the podcast. I found this like very cool yep. moment that's a symbolism that has recurred throughout these books where when you see a cardinal, it means that it's a waypoint because of the cardinal directions. Um, and then you yep, saw yep, the yep. next passage kind of in the same thing, like kind of bouncing it's off of right that. kind of right there with you. That yeah, yeah, yeah. the bobwhite is not a type of bread. So it's like – It's pretty close it's though. Not, like it it's not – almost – Yeah. Almost seems like it could but be. But then it right? was and it wasn't. So it had nothing yeah, to do with anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't. That's cool, yeah, man. But it's it's right there. Yeah, it's like people. It's right there. It's like bread is always like, oh, you know what? Oh man, another book where she didn't mention bread, but like oh, could have so close. Could have right. Uh, she did mention bread. Oh really? Let me read you the passage. Oh, is that one of your other notes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you just? Can I ask you something, Tanner? Can I ask you something? Did you just not even really read the book? You just skimmed it looking for bread references. Is that what fucking happened? You pulled out Bob White. You're like, oh, white bread, maybe Bob White bread. Logan had brought some (laughs) homemade pimento cheese from his house. That's cheese and mayonnaise and pimentos all mixed together. Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard of it until I met Logan, but he says he practically grew up eating pimento cheese sandwiches in the South. I made cream cheese and jelly sandwiches on brown bread. Wow. And snagged some salsa to go with the chips. Wow. You kidding me? All right. Nope. Well, so for new baby bees, um, we're not going to tell you why you're bees, but uh, bread theory is a very, very important thing that is signaled time and time again in these books. And Tanner's really the keeper of the secrets of it. Um, so do, do you want to kind of tell the, the, the new baby bees and also the baby nation who's been listening along this whole time? You want to kind of fill us in? Fin- and me, your, your loyal co-host. Fill us in on what's new in the world of bread theory and also what this specific passage means in relation to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Baby Nation, uh, do you know when you turn on uh, kind of an old tube-style TV and there's the static that plays? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a little bit of that is actually the background sound of the universe, uh, first triggered by the Big Bang eons ago is that like when you hear people saying like yankee hotel foxtrot no 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 this is just like this is bad this is white noise okay you know it's always there it is kind of this signal from the very beginning of all things it's kind of the core of our existence the core of our reality is is kind of relegated to this quiet hum Mm -hmm. in the background uh, of our daily life like all the way from the bread bang the the big bang the yep exactly <laughs> that is what bread theory is uh this reality is not our own in the books but it is a reality and at the bottom of it in the background mm-hmm. creeping at kind of the 
the peripheries of our awareness mm-hmm. just bread. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it seeps through. Sometimes it seeps through, and sometimes Anne kind of just needs to give us a wise nod, a sage nod. Yeah. Like, and that's what this was. This wasn't uh, significant. I mean, it was significant. Any mention of bread is obviously significant. This didn't change the plot at all. Yeah. Uh, this was not one of your cardinal waypoints, but it was important. Yeah. Very significant. It was not. It was Anne just kind of saying, still here. <laughs> All right, man, I'll fucking take it. That was beautiful. That was gorgeous. Well, thank you for that update. Yeah, no problem. What were you talking about? Um, I was talking about waypoints. I, there's another mysterious moment in this book. Uh, it's a riddle that Vanessa tells. Did you catch that? Yeah, it was about um, an old lady. Vanessa out of the fucking blue. Like, they're all hanging out. Vanessa Pike, Mallory's weird sister, who is essentially, she's kind of like the Sybil in these books, or like the Sphinx. She speaks in rhyme. Since Boy Crazy Stacy, which is like, what, book five? Ten. It's an early book. Um, ever since Boy Crazy Stacy, Vanessa has spoken in rhyme, which is now basically 60 full books. At first it was funny and cute, but now it's like, oh, there's something wrong with her. Right. Um, but she's sta- they're all like hanging out having this like bread picnic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Logan like stands up and he's like, I have brought the bread. Have you brought the riddle? And Vanessa, this is paraphrasing, but Vanessa stands up. Her eyes roll all the way back in her head. Yeah. Um, She goes like totally stock rigid still. And then she just says, Old Mother Twitchit has but one eye and a long tail, which she can let fly. And every time she goes over a gap, she leaves a bit of her tail in a trap. Um, It's no accident that this riddle is about an old lady. And that Vanessa's interpretation of it uh, is that Old Mother Twitchit is the needle with one eye and the thread is her long tail. You know who Old Mother Twitchit is? Mrs. Jack? Town? No. Who? Idiot. Who? Lady Cigna Threadbear. <laughs> oh, no. Wait, from the from oh. the hit video game? From the Guild of the Weavers. <laughs> Elder in the Guild of the Weavers from the hit 1990 video game oh, Fucking Loom. hell. I was, I was warding you off of that, Tanner. Yeah. But it was there. It was there all along. <laughs> She's broken through, man. Wow. So that's the fucking riddle, man. Well, so I'm going to try to bring all these threads together again. Uh- <laughs> like in some kind of great loom. Exactly. Now we're talking. You are one of the elders of the Guild of Weavers. <laughs> Look, old Mrs. Town is fucking weird. It's weird that she just randomly shows up in this fucking text out of nowhere. Right. And she seems like she's nice, but she's like, she's got this weird backstory. Anytime her family comes up, she gets this weird, wistful look in her face and doesn't say anything. Right. Like her right. husband and her son are brought up and her eyes glaze over. I wasn't fully expecting this, but it would not have surprised me that much if, like, Marianne had. So she she learned about Mrs. Town when she was on her way to Mrs. Stone's farm to see the goat Elvira. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if, like, on one of the visits to the Stone's farm, Marianne's like, oh, I've been taking sewing lessons from Mrs. Town, the woman who lives next door to you. And Mrs. Uh, Stone is just like, Marianne, n- no one has lived in that house for 15 years. Yes. That house has been abandoned since <laughs> old Mrs. Town passed away. <laughs> the theme of ghosts briefly does come up in this novel. 
it's like broad daylight. Marianne is hanging out with like f- five fucking kids. There's a knocking sound, which I think turns out to be a knocking at the door. Maybe it had been a gust of wind, I thought, said Marianne. I was glad it wasn't late at night, or I might have started worrying about ghosts. <laughs> Not that I believe in ghosts, of course. No, she does believe in ghosts. She does believe in ghosts because her stepsister, Dawn, has convinced her that ghosts are real. Yeah, she just sees ghosts everywhere now, except in the one most obvious place, which is this very clearly dead ghost woman who's teaching her how to sell. Yeah. Dawn has destroyed Marianne's fragile mental state so much by gaslighting her into believing in the ghost in the fucking secret passage. Right. That she sees ghosts everywhere except where they actually are. Right. She's become desensitized to them now. Yeah. Because she never stops thinking about them. And that's how they get in, Baby Nation. That's how they fucking get in. We know that. Right. If you say, let's all come in, you got to say, let's all go out. Let's go. Let's all go out now, please. Let's all please go out. Sometimes I worry that my place is haunted. Really? I truly don't believe in ghosts. Oh, but like you I live don't in think a... ghosts are real, but I live in an old hospital. Yeah. Man. Oh, fuck. Don't triangulate. What? Oh, yeah. Shit. I live in a building that was once a different kind of building where people may have died. <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, my wife is home. Okay. But she said she's just going to pop in and be quiet. So. You sure that's your wife, man? Oh, I don't. Uh, let's please all let's all please leave. Uh, it's very nice getting to know all of you here. Uh, but if you could please kindly leave, this is my house now. Um, and I'm sorry about all the times you had to watch me uh, masturbate. <laughs> Wait, are you talking to your wife or the ghost? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've only got one more thing that I want to talk about before we move on to our hit segments. Oh, guess what, bud? What? Nothing. What? Just, a, it's a wasteland. I didn't get a single burn or tearful moment. Well, did did you fucking, did you catch the Anna Karenina reference? Yeah. It's like the first chapter. Yeah, the first line of this book is, happy families are all alike, which is also the first line of Anna Karenina. Right. Marianne says that. Yeah. Well, you know what happens to Anna Karenina, right? Doesn't she get her head chopped off? No spoiler. No. Why would you think that? Isn't Anna Karenina the same as Anastasia? No. Oh, then no. I don't know what happens to Anna Karenina. So have you just always thought that? Were you reading this whole book thinking that at some point Marianne is going to get decapitated? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Like that's the resonance that Anne was setting up? Yeah. Happy families were all alike. You were like, oh, shit. And it was just like, God damn, more sewing, like flipping through the pages. Like, God, this, all this fucking weaving tech stuff. When are we going to get to the goddamn decapitation? What's, what happens to Anna Karenina? It's a spoiler. Baby Nation, spoilers for the great Tolstoy novel, Anna Karenina, or Anna Karenin, as is sometimes titled. Uh, she jumps in front of a train because she can't handle the banalities and domesticity in Russia married to a fucking asshole count who doesn't give a shit about her and existing inside a patriarchal society that only exists to oppress her. That's heavy. Yeah. Anne doesn't bring up another text unless it's significant to the book. Right. Is what you always tell me. Yes. So there must be some significance to this. Marianne does not jump in front of a train at the end of this book. Does she? I'm trying to think to the end. Um... No, she definitely doesn't. She definitely doesn't. But something fucking happens to Dawn. Oh, yeah. Dawn's going to jump in front of a metaphorical train. Here's the parallel. The obvious parallel is that 
Anna Karenina rejects the domesticity of boring married life that is imposed upon her. Um, and ultimately rejecting that ends in tragedy for her. Society can't handle it. She has to end her life. Marianne also is faced with having this imposed domesticity upon her. She's got to like mop with a bucket as Hodges painted. She's got to fucking sew shit. She's like doing chores in old Mrs. Town's house. And she like comes to like it in this weird perverse way. And all her friends are like, hey, Marianne, I feel like you're spending too much time there. Right. The difference, I think the only difference, frankly, between this book and Tolstoy's great novel um, is that Marianne doesn't jump in front of a train at the end. Which, honestly, no, is kind of a fucking cop-out from Nola Thacker. Oh, yeah. Like, you if you're going to draw sure. those parallels, you know? Frankly, frankly, Nola, if you're listening. Yeah. We love you and your work. You can get rid of Marianne. <laughs> if it means Don will stay, Marianne's fine, but, like, I'll take Don any day. Yeah. Oh, Nola, take Stacy. <laughs> Duh, right? So obvious. <laughs> Do you want to scan through the titles and see if there's any title that is like Stacy and the Big Train? <laughs> I won't because I've spoiled too much already. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you a question in that case. Yeah. Did you this week, sir, have uh, a... A what? <gasps> you okay? You choking? <laughs> Are you telling Mrs. me Mrs. Shepard? <laughs> Mrs. Shepard! She can't hear you. Are you telling me you did it? Because if you didn't, I'm not going to do one. Uh, burn of the week? Yeah. I didn't have one. <laughs> Great. All right. Did you this week have a... No. <gasps> <laughs> Jack, this book was so boring. I didn't have either. And like, I even, I finished the book and did like another quick scan to yeah. be like, surely there was something. I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find either a cheerful moment or a burn of the week this week. I have both. Okay, well then, Jack, what's your... <gasps> Bird of the week! And while you're at it, what's your... Cheerful moment! I want both. You want both? Yeah. Feels like I'm really pulling a lot of the weight here today. Yeah, well, I, I did a lot of the work up front at the top end of the episode. I talked about Loom a lot. I did the bread theory stuff. I fucking thought Loom was the sequel to Mist. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> obviously Riven, you idiot. Wow, what a simpleton. fucking casual. Yeah, right? Uh, um, this is like the B-plot of the book. Marianne has this fucking idea where she's like, Hey, I've got this brilliant idea. It's on the level with some of Christie's brilliant ideas, such as having the Babysitter's Club in the first place. Right. And my idea is, wait for it, we're going to give all the kids sewing lessons. Not a good right. idea, Marianne. Not a good idea. Bad idea. They did make a beautiful quilt at the end of yeah, it, though. Yeah, there's no fucking way you're going to gather like 10 fucking kids and they're going to make a quilt. Absolutely not. That will not happen. Right. Maybe, maybe in the hit 90s video game, Loom, you can gather some of the, you know, like the settlers that have survived the apocalypse Jack, and they'll make up. A- were you even fucking listening? You're the last of your kind. Oh, okay. Well, so even in the Loom, rest of the guild of the weavers have been wiped out. Even in a game that God, is you titled. you don't listen to me, man. <laughs> I certainly do not, sir. Um, but so the, in the context of this novel, in the universe, here's a fairer way of saying it. In the parallel universe 
where Stony Brook exists, kids are wired to be interested in making quilts. Sure. And so they're like, hey, let's make quilts. And all the kids are like, yay. <laughs> Except fucking Nikki Pike, who enjoys it at first. And then he gets like bullied, bullied. by a man, a new man called Clarence <laughs> Morris. <laughs> you think it's a man? <laughs> it never says. Maybe it's a fully grown man. We don't know anything about him except his name. And that his name is an anagram for Miracle Scorner, Clearer Crimson, Reclaim Corners, or Armor in Circles. Those are just fun facts. Took those notes down. Um, Reclaim Corners might be something. Yeah. (laughs) I think Armor in Circles and Miracle Scorner are replete with meaning. Have you heard of the Hounds of Tindalos? Is it from uh, the hit video game Loom? No, it's a fictional creature created by Frank Belknap Long and later incorporated into the Cthulhu mythos. Oh, of course. You have heard of it. I mean, I've heard of the Cthulhu mythos. Why, do they reclaim corners somehow, Tanner? Because of their relationship with the angles of time, they can materialize through any corner if it is fairly sharp, 120 degrees or less. When a hound is about to appear, it materializes first as smoke, pouring from the corner, and finally the head emerges, followed by the body. It is said that once a human becomes known to one of these creatures, a hound of Tindalos will pursue the victim through anything to reach its quarry. A person risks attracting their attention by traveling through time. I think what you've done here, Jack, Fuck. by uncovering that anagram that fun playful anagram that you just did that fun little bit you just did yeah you just made all of baby nation aware of the hounds of tindalos and therefore the hounds of tindalos aware of all of baby nation baby nation whatever room you're in if it has corners get the yeah. fuck out of it round them off round them off find the roundest room in your house and get to it or clarence morris aka reclaim corners that makes sense he appears like that they're like hey nikki what happened who beat you up you have a black eye and he just goes i will not speak his name right and i need to get out of this room and i need to get out of this room and then oh and that's true wait yeah nikki does spend a majority of the rest of the book outdoors yeah totally building a fort that ann and nola never say what shape the fort is fucking hell but Nikki and Buddy are probably building, like, a, a silo. This fucking scans, man. This scans. Man, I'm really glad we you knew about these hounds. Well, I'm not, because is it, like, once you're aware of them, they're more likely to manifest? Is that the fucking yeah, thing? Yeah, and I'm Shit. looking at your screen, and your room is fucking full of corners. Uh fuck. Well, and, okay, Baby Nation, if you're listening to this podcast and there are no corners around you, you're fine. Keep listening. Right. Um, should we go back and insert like a disclaimer? Yeah, maybe we should go back. We'll do a disclaimer now and we'll put it at the beginning. That's Smart. responsible. That's responsible. Right. Uh, okay. Hey, Baby Nation. It's me, uh, Tanner Greenring, host of the Babysitter's Club Club, and joining me is my co-host, Jack Shepard. Uh, in this episode, we do kind of get into um, the Hounds of Tindalos a little bit. Uh, so if you are... Oh, fuck. I said their name. Fuck, shit. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Okay. All right. Um, hi, Baby Nation. Uh, it's me, Jack Shepard, um, and here with me is my co-host, Tanner Greenring. Um, if you have any corners in the room that you're listening to this podcast in... Right. Um, don't find get, another room. Find another room. And also probably don't... And never... Don't listen to it. Right. Don't, don't listen. Or skip when we get to the Hounds of Tint. Fuck! fuck i don't know how to do it 
Yeah, it's tough, man. This is the thing about the, these like elder gods. This is how they get you. Um, okay, all right. I'm gonna do. I'll do a warning now that we can actually just throw up at the beginning. Bam, 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 bam. Okay, good. Um, what am I doing? I was in my, my burn of the week, right? Oh, I don't remember. So, Nikki Pike's reaction to having this fucking terrifying Hound of Tintalo's character tell him that sewing is for sissies yep. is that he goes like full men's rights activist. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> like he he refuses to cook like bake cookies with everyone he refuses right. to go to the sewing lessons he dresses up like a hunter like he always wants to play at war right uh, he here's his outfit uh he's dressed in green cocky cutoffs you say cocky or khaki <laughs> khaki khaki cutoffs <laughs> cocky cutoffs <laughs> Khaki cutoffs, a lime green t-shirt, Kelly green socks, and what looked like his father's work boots. Around his waist hung a tool belt holding about a million different tools. He was waving a toy gun. Uh, Nikki? said Mal, surprised. I'm a mighty hunter, announced Nikki. A hunter strong and brave and true. (laughs) Later he goes and like sticks branches and leaves under his belt and wears a cap. And this is literally, this is it. This is what this has all has been leading up to. (laughs) He like walks in and he's just like, I am the mighty hunter. And Jordan just turns around and he just says, you look like a tree. (laughs) (laughs) I saw the reason. Like Jordan, Jordan is like wearing an apron and like baking cookies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he turns around. He's just like, you look like a tree. And like the burn was particularly resonant for me because I had already started to imagine him as one of these like men's rights activists. Right. Like one of these like dudes on Twitter who's like has like camo and like MAGA. Yeah. But I feel like that's a pretty good thing to say to one of those dudes. It's like, you look like a tree, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, our friend Dave has this technique. <laughs> that he does when anyone bothers him on Twitter. And Baby Nation, I encourage you to do this too. It's good. Is when anyone bugs our friend Dave on Twitter, what he does is he goes to their Twitter account, expands their profile picture, saves it to his desktop, and tweets back at them and just attaches their own profile picture <laughs> back at them. Yeah. That's good. And it, yeah. it just like, it's the most confusing thing in the world because they're just like, what the, f- what the fuck does that mean? That's me. Yeah, and he just—he doesn't say anything else. He just sends their own profile picture back to them. That's really solid, um, and equally good is you look like a tree. You look like a tree. Um, Christy also refers to him as a male chauvinist piglet. Yeah, that's pretty good. That was gonna be my burn of the week. But yeah, I actually captured that under my strike against the patriarchy. Oh shit! Um, now I get to say my tearful moment. Yeah, please do. It's a podcast of one today. You really cried? Yeah, I fucking cried, man. Is it because your parents are in town? You're feeling vulnerable? We're British, so we don't really do that. I guess so it has to have other outlets. Like when yeah, I'm reading yeah, yeah. Like a kid's book by myself, curled up in the fucking fetal position, the right. corner of my room. Jesus Christ, right. I'm never going to the corner of my room again. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> That's not a safe space anymore. Oh, man, Baby Nation's going to fucking love your stupid little British accent that you did when your mom was in the room. <laughs> um, Baby Nation, that's the real thing. That's the real deal. That's the real me. This is just, this is a, a show. This is a character Jack this plays. This is a mummery that I do so that you can understand me. Um, all right, I'm going to read my tearful moment. 
it's when Marianne finally goes to confront Mrs. Town. And she's like, Mrs. Town, I need to talk to you. And Mrs. Town's like, uh, what is it, Marianne? And Marianne just says, look, I love visiting. I like helping you. But I can't always come on the spur of the moment, like today. I have responsibilities in the babysitter's club. And I'm teaching kids a sewing class myself. And I have a family and friends. I mean, I need time for all that. And lately, it seems as if I haven't had any. As if I'm always answering a call from you. I looked up, wondering how angry and hurt Mrs. Town would be. She didn't seem angry at all. In fact, she was biting her lip, looking, well, embarrassed. Mrs. Town? I'm sorry, I said. Don't be. Don't be one bit sorry, Marianne. You're absolutely right. I've been very selfish with you. The last few times I've called, I haven't really needed your help. You know that, and I know that. I just felt, well, lonely. I wanted some company. It reminded me, I guess, of having my son around the house again, somehow. Oh, Mrs. Town. And she hasn't seen her son since the accident. She hasn't seen her son since we don't even fucking know. The 15 years earlier. Jesus, Marianne. Like, can you fucking leave this poor woman alone? This poor ghost woman. This poor fucking ghost woman. She's been haunting these halls for years, Marianne. You're the first human contact she's had since her son came and picked the house clean, like found all the jewelry and the the gold bars (laughs) hidden in the safe and left. Jesus. Um... Uh, let's get the fuck out of here. How about let's get the fuck out of here? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go with my parents in about half an hour, and we're going to go see some fucking bats. Oh, I heard about those bats. They do bats here. Yeah. Anne would fucking hate it. I'm going to go um, live in the uh, cultural um, capital of the entire world. Okay. I'm gonna In a half an hour, Jamie and I are going to go and like uh, live in the cultural capital of the entire world, New York City. All right, Stacy. Yeah. <laughs> you're becoming a real fucking Stacy over there, dude. Well, you're becoming a real Dingleberry. <laughs> I've already gone full fucking Texan, man. Riding around on my goat in the front yard. God, that sounds great. Drinking Shinerbach. Got my fucking cowboy hat. Looking at bats. That sounds great, man. It's good as hell. My life is in fucking turmoil. I don't know what I'm doing. Yikes. Doctor hated my dong. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, dude. I didn't want to say anything, but it sounds it sounds like he was worried about it, not excited about it. I don't think he liked it. <laughs> Look, that's what happens, man. It's not his job to like it, Tanner. Yeah. You know? Um you, you know what, Baby Nation, we'll post it. We'll post a picture on the Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Baby Nation, you be the judge. <laughs> you could judge for yourself. You call Dr. Carpenter and you tell him it's a great dog. Tanner, <laughs> uh, let's get the fuck out of here. Yes, please. Uh, we got a little housekeeping. Do we? Just got an email today um, from Baby B, whose name I did not capture. Great. Who said the following thing in her email. Stony Brook Revisited, a Babysitter's Club fan film, is a fan-made adaptation of Anne M. Soul Skinner Martin's The Babysitter's Club that catches up with original members Christy, Claudia, Marianne, Stacy, Dawn, and Elvira the Goat. She didn't say that. I interpolated that. In the modern day. They are in their mid-twenties here. 
because B-Theory, obviously. The series will launch on June 20th with five episodes following one girl on the same day. Um, it's on YouTube. I checked out the the little trailer that they released. It looks pretty fucking yeah, good. Yeah, I did too. It was good. Thank you to Baby B Chelsea. Chelsea. For that. Yeah. Um, and you guys are going to have to rewrite the whole thing to put Elvira the Goat in it. Yeah, sorry. Scrap it. Can all the footage you've got now? We got to reshoot. Yeah, so whichever actress is playing Dawn in your thing, she's out. Larissa Olenek. Yeah. And now have get get a goat. Yeah, get a goat. That was a little housekeeping. Um you got anything you want to plug, Jack? Any upcoming appearances? I'm going to go see some bats, Baby Nation. Okay. And if you're listening, block block those ears right now, because I'm going to go look at some bats, and I'm going to fucking leave them to live their little bat lives without doing anything unspeakable to any of them, Anne. Man, good thing Anne lives nowhere <laughs> near Austin, Texas. Baby Nation, this week I have been Jack Shepard. I've been Tanner Greenring. This week we read a book called Made Marianne. Uh, next week, we're going to be reading a little book called Dawn's Big Move. Um, and I think we all probably know what that means. <sighs> I am not looking forward to that. Maybe we, we should do a mystery or a super special or something in between now and then. Cause we'll I do a mystery. I'm not fucking ready. Yeah. Um, uh, Baby Nation, I don't tell you this enough. I love you and I kiss you. I love you and I kiss you too, Baby Nation. Um. And love is not unconditional. It is for me, Baby Nation. I would also love and kiss for you to write us a... I was just trying to do a segue. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love you and I kiss you unconditionally. I love you unconditionally and I kiss you unconditionally. I love you unconditionally and I kiss you with conditions. Unrelatedly, please uh-huh. give us a nice rating and review on iTunes. Um, it makes a big difference to us. I fucking love to read them. I cannot tell you enough. I love to fucking check the iTunes and read the new reviews. Uh, it makes a big difference in my life. It makes me feel happy. And also, they help us to move up in the iTunes rankings, and they help other baby bees to discover the show. So it does us a great service uh, when you do that, and it gives me endless joy. So please do that. Um, got anything to add to that, Tanner? Uh, I hate it, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Tanner's afraid of it. Um, Oh, Baby Nation. Baby Nation. Uh, Check out Mm. the 1990 uh, LucasArts game, Loom. Yeah. Check out the 1990 LucasArts game, Loom, and round off the corners in your bedrooms, Baby Nation. Very important. Now that you've become aware of the Hounds of Tindalos, they are stalking you until uh, they do catch you. (laughs) Baby Nation, Claudia is wearing a bra now. The way she talks, you would think the boys had just been invented. Hello, checking my levels here, just making sure that the levels are okay. Check your body, test mic one, two. Hello, this is Tanner. Uh, Hopefully I don't spike too much, because I'm going to be yelling so much. That was a HeadGum Podcast.